0: Welcome, listeners, to season six, episode eight of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, they.
1: And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them.
0: And this week, we are watching The Haunting from 1999. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to cause some haunted insomnia. <laughs> This episode will contain discussion on harm to children, ghosts, and violence against women. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and come back next time. I also wanted to give a quick disclaimer that my computer has died. So for the next (laughs) few episodes, I'm recording in a weirder setup. So things might not be as good as they usually are, but hopefully that'll pass soon.
1: So I call this drink haunted martini,
0: Spooky. which
1: for one reason, I always think about the martini when thinking about Alfred Hitchcock and how much he likes the purist's martini. So I always like making fucking weird martini shit just to stick mm-hmm. it to him. And this one is kind of interesting. So I wanted to play with color in the drink a little bit today. Um, so I have espresso vodka that I have dyed black and you can choose whatever method you want to dye. I didn't want to use activated charcoal because it kind of messes with medication and stuff. So if you do end up using activated charcoal, be really careful that it doesn't mess with your medication and maybe look up alternatives to that. Um, I have chocolate bitters that I have dyed red. Uh, And then yes, and then the rest (laughs) is uh, vanilla extract, uh, sugar and egg whites. Uh, So what you're going to want to do is wet mix everything except for the bitters and egg whites. And that means uh, put everything except for the bitters and egg whites into uh, your cocktail shaker with some ice. Mix it up until it's nice and cool then take out the ice and dry mix the egg whites. And that's because the ice will actually break up the foam uh, too much. So you want the cocktail to be cold, then put the egg whites in and mix it up and you'll get like a real thick head of foam. Mm. Um, and then uh, kind of just dip some of the chocolate bitters on top to make it look like blood drippings. And uh I think it turned out pretty good.
0: It looks so cool for a cocktail called The Haunting. This is a we should have saved this for a Halloween episode. This is (laughs) such a spooky cocktail. Also, I did have my first few sips while you were talking. It's incredibly um, espresso-y. It tastes like there's coffee in it. I'm like, I've never had a flavored vodka be that flavorful.
1: We had uh, friends, uh, Adam and Noemi, left a whole bottle of espresso vodka at our place because we did like a full two week quarantine so that we could actually see humans for my birthday. Uh, And they brought a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm probably going to be using some of the stuff they left in uh, upcoming cocktails. But uh, one of them was this espresso vodka that, yeah, I agree. It's pretty strong, uh, which is why I didn't really want to add too much else. Um, I threw the uh, vanilla extract in there. Just sort of make it like cakey with the sugar and the egg whites on top. Mm-hmm. Um, I was honestly thinking of making like a red velvet cocktail, but I couldn't think of how to recreate like cream cheese and uh, buttermilk flavor. So I didn't try to and instead went in sort of this <laughs> like darker direction, which uh, kind of looks like the villain from uh, The Haunting a little bit, I think.
0: Yeah. Also, as I've been taking my sips, the like red, it's kind of like latte art because the bitters are definitely floating over top of the egg whites and they sort of have made this like cool flower shape that I'm really enjoying.
1: Totally intentional.
0: It's so sweet. It tastes like iced coffee.
1: This is going to fuck you up, by the way. It is almost entirely vodka. (laughs) (laughs) You can't
0: tell at all.
1: Uh, for, th- for the actual picture, I filled like an entire I'm not even using a martini glass. So fuck you, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, but uh, I filled like an entire I don't even know what you call these ones. I always use them for when we make like sours and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's like a bowl, a, a shallow bowl on top of a stem.
1: Whatever, I'm not a professional.
0: a wine glass that's been sliced. (laughs) It's
1: a cool glass, but uh, it's full of vodka, so look out. (laughs) I will
0: sip slowly.
1: Um, I also didn't put uh, measurements for it because, like, vodka. (laughs) Just don't put too much vanilla, because I feel like some people use too much vanilla and you end up with, like, a really syrupy flavor.
0: What about the sugar, though? Did you use, like, a sugar cube? Yeah, just a cube just one one cube i feel like the ratio for that was important because this isn't too sweet and but it's on the verge so that's true
1: i I guess i assume everyone has cubes you know everyone's got cubes as you do you find yourself in the middle of the afternoon with a sugar cube i didn't eat today so this is also (laughs) going to mess me up real real quick
0: Well, then let's dive into our Patreon thank yous. Uh, Very special thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. So grateful for your continued support. We really couldn't do this show without you. And we would love to give you an extra special thank you to all of you. Jacob M, Diana S, Nicholas G, Ollie A, Jackie V, Roxanne B, Aiden T, Les Represent Podcast, Pauline D, and Aubrielle. Thank you all so much. We couldn't do it without you. Ya. Yay! Thank you. This week we watched The Haunting from 1999. It premiered on July 23rd, 1999. Written by David Self, directed by Jan de Bont, and based on the novel by Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House. It stars Liam Neeson as fear researcher scientist Dr. David Marrow, Lily Taylor as kind research subject Nell. Catherine Zeta-Jones as outgoing lesbian research subject Theo. Owen Wilson as, oh, wow, research (laughs) subject Luke. (laughs) This synopsis was written by Kyle Shivers on IMDb. I thought that having the last name of Shivers was very apropos for this. For sure. Eleanor Lance is called to meet at Hill House for Dr. Merrow's sleeping disorder studies, along with three other people. The owners of the house tell them that no one will be around and that they won't be able to hear them. The first night, they all sit around and talk. Eleanor tells them that her sleeping disorder is different because she can sleep. It's just that she wakes up because she thinks her dead mom is still living with her. Well, that isn't the case now because she is woken one night in the Hill House bedroom by talking children's voices, asking her for help. At first, scared by the voice, she learns to avoid them. Later, the group finds out that Dr. Marrow is not using them for sleeping disorder tests, but a test in fear. The fear is first thought to be fake, but eventually turns real when loud noises are heard and objects start to move. Now they must try and escape the house before they are all killed. So Eleanor or Nell is consistently plagued by the ghosts of these children and the rest of the subjects and Dr. Mero himself believe her to be in a fugue state. Eventually, though, it cannot be denied that the ghosts are real. Nell discovers that Hugh Crane was trapping children here as well as his wife and burying their bones within the house when they tried to escape. Walls come to life, beds become cages, curtains become ropes and vessels for hauntings, and statues come to life as everything pops off. Oh, wow, Luke <laughs> even gets his head chopped off from a giant fireplace flue. Finally, the ghost of Hugh Crane comes out for a final battle. But as his ghost is being sent to the walls, Eleanor goes along with it, crashing her body against the stone door. She then falls to the ground dead. As she dies, the children's spirits are released along with hers through the door that has art for purgatory. The movie ends with the caretakers returning the following morning and a final shot of Hill House.
1: Mm. Dun, dun, dun. And then the cranes move back in and they have decades of problems. (laughs) You know, because the the dad, he's got to he's got to fix it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Netflix. That's the Netflix show I'm talking about. (laughs)
0: Hit me with that trailer audio. You all suffer from sleep disorders. My job is to find out why.
1: What's the deal with the Adams Family Mansion? I gotta be honest, I don't get a real strong sleep
0: vibe from this no. place. <laughs> oh my god, what's happening? warning your tongue will turn black from this drink yeah
1: that was the most almost 2000s movie trailer I have seen in a while
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean we're right on the verge 1999
1: it was very much that like you wouldn't steal a car commercial that you see at like the beginning of movies um mm-hmm. uh, surprisingly not bad though like they didn't show too much of like what the mystery actually was like there's a few of the spooks but nothing like too egregious and uh like considering the movie is mostly like a mystery they didn't reveal basically any of what the solution to the mystery was mm-hmm. it's just kind of like this is gonna be scary and scott owen wilson Liv tyler
0: oh wow
1: Liv tyler <laughs> what did i say
0: do you mean katherine zeta jones
1: no what's the lily what's taylor it? that's it Listen, that vodka already. <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's kind of Liv Tyler. The you like Liv Tyler. The kind of breath. She delivered it pretty <laughs> Liv tyler There <laughs> It was a lot of talking like this. I'm so scared.
0: Fair. I've enjoyed the music of that trailer, and I thought it was paced well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to dive into your thoughts, because... It fits very well with the fact that we didn't know anything about this movie going into it.
1: Yeah. So I uh, legally acquired the movie and you said that it's some sort of fantasy with Liam Neeson. And there was a twist. So for some reason, my mind immediately went to like a Shutter Island kind of movie where he was being tested the whole time kind of Mm. thing. But that's entirely irrelevant because once Hill House showed up. Once the character said her nickname was Nell, once the new character introduced herself as Theo, and then uh Luke showed up, I was like, Oh, this is uh Haunting of Hill House. And you you for the longest time are like, No, no, are you are you sure? It can't be. And then I think like once it was like Theo, Nell and Hill House, you were like, Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: I don't know why I was so like, wow, this is so many coincidences all in a row <laughs> for so long. And then, yeah, it was very obvious. I guess in my mind, I was like, why wouldn't they just call it haunting of Hill house? Why are they calling it the Haunting? Yeah.
1: Which I guess like there was the one in the sixties that was based on the novel as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is kind of a remake of that one a bit. Yeah. Um, so I think like, because our, Uh, lack of knowledge of the original The Haunting, we didn't realize that The Haunting of Hill House doesn't take a lot from the novel. So when we watched The Haunting, which does take more from The Haunting of Hill House novel, it didn't click with us because we have only seen The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix.
0: Which is amazing, and you should all watch it.
1: Yes, agreed. I mean, (laughs) all of The Hauntings and The Midnights.
0: Mike Flanagan.
1: Both mass and upcoming Club? Midnight
0: Club. I can't yeah. wait for that. We're getting ahead of ourselves. This isn't the Rekonomicon.
1: <laughs> Although now I'm, I'm just realizing there's Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly, Midnight Mass, Midnight Club. Wonder what the next duo-y
0: <laughs> You do you love tr- when things have um, a, like a pattern to them.
1: I do. I very much do. You do. Um, so, I mean, really my first point is that you and I embarrassed ourselves when we realized that we were watching The Haunting of Hill
0: House. (laughs) I enjoy movies more when I know less about them, because otherwise I find that too many things are spoiled.
1: (laughs) That's really like the crux of our trailer segment is how much we talk about. Please let us enjoy the movie when we watch it. And don't don't entice us by showing us the movie. And expecting us to be like, wow, we're going to watch this movie now.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, all right. My f- second point um, is that I was very surprised how fantasy themed this movie was. Um, I guess like going in, you said that it was fantasy. And for some reason, I don't know. I don't know what my, what my mind expected. I think like Pan's Labyrinth kind of fantasy.
0: We still got to do that on the show, too. Oh, boy.
1: Yes. I mean, that scared (laughs) me as a kid. But um, from like the moment we were introduced to the Hill House and it's this like absurdly large Gothic castle with like strange carnival themed rooms and like the ghosts are all massive, huge abominations that are like using the, the house to manifest themselves like it. This movie was such a massive scale that, like, I, I was almost like convincing myself that I remember The Haunting when it came out. Like, I, I oh, in my mind, I was like, this movie is too big for me to be an eight-year-old that doesn't at least acknowledge that there's a Le- a scary Liam Neeson movie coming out. So, like, I was trying to picture in my mind, like, was there ever a time I was watching TV and like the, a commercial for The Haunting came on? Like, did I ever at any point? get involved in this zeitgeist but i was too scared to watch it um so i'm real i'm i'm this is the first time i'm admitting i'm incredibly interested to see what the um the profit was because i don't Mm. remember if this was like a big popular thing when it came out
0: but it has such it's so star-studded yeah it's like uh, this had to have worked right
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's huge
0: i will leave you in suspense. All right. Thank
1: you. Um, Like the entire thing felt like a cartoon, which then the moment that Luke got his head decapitated, the juxtaposition of like, oh, it's kind of been like this fantasy spooky kind of vibe to dude just got his head dang knocked off. I was like, it kind of threw me for a loop in. I don't know if it was a good way, but I don't know. They, they didn't, they did not prepare me for full decapitation totally um so yeah i i think just the like i don't like the whole movie just felt unexpected i think is the best word
0: yeah it was cool because they sort of relied so much on these like cherub figures and statues everywhere like every bed had these like baby faces yeah and hallways which then they use like the CGI to like animate the faces, which sort of really lent into the fantasy aspect of everything. And it felt it was spooky, but it was lighthearted almost. Yeah. Which you're totally right. When <laughs> when, <laughs> when Wilson got his head chopped off, I was he like, got whoa. He his kappa
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. And it like wasn't even really that bloody, all things considered. Like the assistant at the beginning, she gets her eye cut by the, um, not even a piano. It was like a strange sort of piano wire. Yeah. yeah. Um, And like glass cutting here and there. Like it was very out of left field. It kind of feels like they needed like a big wow moment. A big wow, wow. moment. Which goes into my third point. <laughs> I never got the Owen Wilson wow thing. I think he was doing it when I was too young to acknowledge it. But this was just the most amount of wows. I should have ever.
0: <laughs> made a drinking game for every time he said it. <laughs>
1: we would have been flat by the end of it. <laughs> uh, like, I'm pretty sure, like, one of the first things he says is, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. What a house. Wow. <laughs> that that Theo is quite a woman. Wow. Oh, hey, my kappa got detated. Wow. Um. So I'm like, is this like, is this a thing he did in all of his movies? Or is this one of the like extreme cases where he developed that mannerism?
0: I'm not sure.
1: Which goes back to again, like, I don't remember this movie at all being talked <laughs> about as a child. <laughs> so like for all for all I know, that was just his thing in all of his movies was wow.
0: Wow.
1: So yeah. going the- back
0: to your other point, though, I do want to say the gothic. Design of the house was perf. Mm. I mean, obviously, I don't like the cherub children everywhere, but I am really for the aesthetic of like huge bookcases that just cover your walls and like lush carpeting and, um, you know, c- candelabras for light, like that sort of, I don't want to say rustic, but it's very the opposite of rustic. It's very like lavish and elegant. Ostentatious. Yeah. <laughs> I really like it if I could I would live in a place like that I would smaller. only live
1: <laughs> yeah I would only live in a place like that if I had a well-paid like cleaning staff like that there was one there was a line that uh what was her name the caretaker uh
0: Mrs. D. Uh, something like D. Douglas Mrs.
1: Dudsley I mean All it's right. the exact same as Hill House I just don't <laughs> know why I can't remember it Um, where she mentions, like, uh, I think Nell is like, wow, everything's so beautiful. And she's like, yeah, try dusting it. And I'm like, entirely a mood. Like, this place was built for an army of cleaning staff. Yeah. Uh, and now she is left alone to do it. Also, I finished my drink.
0: You were supposed to sip it.
1: It was so smooth. And my (laughs) mouth is very black right now.
0: Is Um, mine black yet?
1: No don't know why
0: i've been sipping slowly like a responsible adult
1: weird super weird um (laughs) man that was that was smooth as heck do you
0: have thoughts i do but before we get to them it's time for whispers Whispers from
1: from beyond. beyond
0: This is the part of the show where we read your reviews, give extra special shout outs to new patrons. And this actually the segment is dedicated to Nora from Ontario, who emailed us about our last episode incantation boilers if you haven't listened to that one yet. Um, <laughs> but we did get permission from them to read the email on that episode. So here we go. Nora says, I always love the analysis you guys do and the thought you put into these reviews. Thank you both so much for the podcast. I'm Nora from Ottawa. I wanted to share my own enthusiasm for incantation with you and something that hit me and knocked the air from my lungs. The found footage use in this was exquisite, a rare example of it used to amazing effect and the incantation itself, the use of color and light and dark to burn it into your retinas, just stunning. But it was the mental health parenting angle that really struck me. My grandmother was not super well, and while we didn't have any diagnosis on it, she acted like my dad and like me. Borderline personality disorder. Like me, her self-harming behavior tied into anorexia or bulimia. Like my dad, she was controlling and could become verbally abusive to the extreme. And like my dad, she passed it down. My sister, brother, and I all are struggling to recover from his behavior now that we're adults, even as we fight tooth and nail to not repeat his bullshit with our kids. But my brother and sister don't have BPD, and I do. Holding my newborn daughter 13 years ago at the height of my mid-20s mental health plunge, I was terrified. I remember thinking, thank God she's not genetically related to me, and I still stand by that. When she was two, I had to be institutionalized. Luckily, I have two loving partners who supported me and made sure that our baby knew I loved her and that I could see her regularly, but it was rough. I felt like I would do anything to feel stable and be able to be with her again. Now I've had over a decade of therapy. I have meds. I have support groups. And even now, even still, it's so hard not to repeat my dad's behavior with my daughters. So to me, the magic and the incantation became secondary to the mental health struggle. Lee was blaming herself for passing something on to her child and trying to mitigate the damage it would do and was willing to do anything to help with that. And in a supernatural story, that's not therapy. It's sorcery, which is fair. But the desperation and the self-recrimination and trying to be close to them whilst protecting them from you and your mistakes and your curses. That's a movie that's going to stick with me for a long time. I thought it might be an interesting perspective on the movie, and you guys might be interested in hearing it. Love, Nora. And hell, yeah, I loved reading your email and getting to share it with everyone on the show is important to me because I think that that's an amazing excerpt and and thought about the film that we weren't really thinking of.
1: Yeah, it's really cool to get a point of view that like, I don't know, really recontextualizes the movie like we in our experience, we were like, oh, a curse. And this makes it really hard to be a parent. But to have somebody view it from like a more mental illness sort of side is really cool.
0: And a, as a parent yourself, like we have buddy and that's really not the same as being a parent. Yeah.
1: And I hate kids, so <laughs> it'll never be a thing that I experience. <laughs>
0: going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors
1: this season of drinking and screaming would not be possible without the support of mad lab distillery in case you forgot mad lab distillery is canadian and they are constantly coming up with new creations for us to try out on the show we use their chocolate spice bitters for this drink and it was very chocolatey and nice it,
0: it gave uh, it elevated this vodka martini for sure
1: hell yes You can get their awesome stuff at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com.
0: We received a new shipment from Evil Amy. She sent us an adorable pop figure of Gizmo from Gremlins. This Gizmo is holding up little 3D glasses and just looking so cute. I have him on my shelf next to my work desk, remembering to never get him wet. <laughs> you can get yours. They ship globally at EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com. And you can use code EVIL10 for 10% off your purchase. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Drink underscore Scream. On Facebook at Drink and Scream. And you can email us at DrinkingandScreaming at gmail.com. Then we'll maybe feature it on the show.
1: For more information and to buy some merch, go to DrinkingandScreaming.com.
0: Help us, Kelly. Bring us back to the episode. <laughs> now I do have some thoughts.
1: Now you have some thoughts.
0: Back to the haunting. I was going to say the haunting of Hill House, but that's not what it's called. It's the haunting. Yeah, uh, tomato <laughs> potato. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, But I haven't read the novel, The Haunting of Hill House, but I do think that now I need to read it because I've been enjoying all these different adaptations of it uh, and I need to see the source material, you know, but I don't actually think watching this film that it was an accurate representation of the book, which I know is weird for me to say, having literally not read the book at all. But I think. With this film, it has the vibe that you have to appreciate it as like kind of not even related to the novel at all. Sure, it has the same names, but I think it did similarly to what The Haunting of Hill House Netflix show did, which is like took inspirations, but obviously made a lot of changes to it as well. And um, thinking about it in its own lens, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought that the mystery of the house was left with, kind of a bit more to be desired because we were focusing so much on Nell herself and what was going on with the ghost kids. But I did like how they trickled information to us about what happened to the children over the just under two hours of the movie. And I also want to say we have a lot of listeners that find horror to be something that they can't really watch, but they like to hear the stories and our thoughts on the films This one might be a good movie for you to try because it all of the scares are from 1999 CGI. So they're very much laughable at this point. But also like the overall themes of horror, I thought were done well enough that it was a good movie, but I didn't find it scary. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think the the CGI held up like it didn't have that sort of like sci fi network stank to it. Um, anytime that it transitioned from like a real ass prop to the animation, like it's actually barely noticeable. I think it's mostly like the movement that was kind of silly.
0: yeah, um, the, anything that was like material based was pretty i I would disagree with you. I thought it was pretty bad. <laughs> or like uh, when she was brushing her hair, I thought that part oh, yeah, was kind of bad. Fair.
1: um but yeah, I think the Luke getting decapitated is definitely the scariest part. Um, mm-hmm. There's also like a shot of somebody um, hanging from some uh, stairs that's kind of creepy as well. But yeah, it's less like it. I don't think it would like stick with you unless you're afraid of ghost children, which honestly is pretty fair. <laughs> um, I uh, so you mentioned that you haven't read the book, right? Mm-hmm. I did the next best thing, which is read the summary section from Wikipedia of the book of the book. how much is is it accurate? It's surprisingly accurate. Um, Not like, well, sorry, comparatively to the Netflix series, it is surprisingly accurate. The original 1960 or whatever one uh, was apparently the most accurate. But all of the characters are present except for like some extra characters. And those assistants at the beginning aren't involved. Um, But it's actually about a supernatural investigator who hires a team to research this, uh, this like building. And all of the haunting is left much more ambiguous. Uh, You kind of don't really know if Nell was actually seeing things or if she was sort of experiencing like um, some sort of uh, mental problems in the house. But the end is relatively the same. I think it's more accurate than the series, but still less accurate than the 60s one.
0: Mm. And like the main concept is different then at that point too. Yeah,
1: but it is still a uh, scientist bringing people to this house. Yeah, to study something? Question mark. And Nell being the focus of a lot of the hauntings. Mm-hmm. It even mentioned how there's the scene of Theo and and Nell uh in their room thinking that somebody's trying to break in.
0: Okay, uh, nice.
1: So I think they took at least a lot of scenes from it. Nice. Yeah,
0: speaking of Theo, that's my next point Ooh. is that she was really cool. I mean, in the Netflix series, I also really loved Theo, <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed having a badass lesbian who I mean, let's be real. She had the coolest costume design out of everybody. <laughs> Everyone was typical, like average schmo. But Theo rocked like leather jackets, uh, a lot of feathered things. <laughs> uh, and she just looked really hot but not in a way that I felt was like gratuitous. She was mainly like super confident and that showed in what she was wearing. And I also thought, I mean, it's the nineties. So obviously like queer cultures was the present for sure. But I enjoyed how much they didn't shy away from her being a lesbian. Like she talked about partners that she had had, And also you could kind of feel like her and Nell were like, ooh.
1: yeah, she did mention having a boyfriend, though. So I almost feel like the writers kind of like watered down her sexuality a little bit Mm. and that she wasn't a full lesbian, but instead was bi. Or um, I imagine a lot of like the homophobic people would be like, oh, cool, she's straight, but she still sleeps with women. That's hot
0: oh okay yeah well then i'll take back calling her a lesbian but still being a bi woman was super super awesome mm-hmm. and um i thought that was really cool it was nice to we don't watch a lot of horror that has outwardly queer characters unless it's like you know with that being the core concept of a film yeah. so it was great to normalize that and include her here um mm. as being a bi woman
1: and I appreciate that every adaptation of the novel has that aspect, because in Hill in Haunting of Hill House, she is explicitly a lesbian. Uh, and apparently in the original, she is too. the one in the 60s. Nice. Um, and in the book, she is. So or like I think it, it said it's like hinted. But, you know.
0: Yeah. We know. <laughs> and she survived, which was yes. great because I was very worried that they were going <laughs> to kill her, especially once they, the, the bodies started popping off. Uh, But she made it to the end. So that was cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's it for me.
1: You know, I haven't been sleeping recently. And uh, all these ghost kids in our house, you know, the ghost kids that hang out. uh, Mm -hmm. They told me to go find this uh, secret room behind some bookshelves. And it just so happens that including a bunch of ledgers that for some reason track the deaths of these children. There's also this creepy book with a face on it. So I brought it to the show and I figured it was time to open the record. Oh God. God. Help
0: us now. Help us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the part of our show uh, where we recommend you some other, another movie that either matched the theme or, I don't know, made us think of it. Mine is Casper from
0: 1995. <gasps> yeah! Which,
1: honestly, because of the CGI of this movie, it was the closest thing I could think of. Uh, Casper's uncles turning the house against any would-be exorcists really feels like Hill House. So that's Casper from 1995.
0: Nice. I'm on a streak of recommending films that I haven't watched, so I'm (laughs) going to just continue that here with The Haunting, 1963, which, as you mentioned, Kelly, is supposed to be the most true adaptation of the novel for Mm. these sorts of films. And it features, I did some research about this, more of a queer love triangle. Um, But again, because it was the 60s, it's like, you know, coded that way. But I thought that was interesting. And that's The Haunting from 1963. Scaredy facts. This is the part of our show where I dive under the covers with Kelly, snuggle up on the sofa, get a little buddy petting action going on as we remind ourselves that we just experienced a movie. It wasn't real. And uh, we go look up some trivia, dive into some interviews and other things to, you know, de-scare ourselves (laughs) or just enjoy more of what the film has to offer with its trivias and stories. And you were very interested in the budget. So I will go ahead and rip off this (laughs) bandaid, which it had an estimated 80 million from back in the day, uh, which is huge. And it more than doubled it. Worldwide gross was. Wow. 177.3. Wait, 177.3 million. That's like so much money.
1: Yeah, how did I? I must have at some point acknowledged that this movie existed as a child and just not wanted to watch it because I was a scaredy cat.
0: Fair enough. I was interested in when we were seeing this movie, like how much of it was actually a place? Like, can I visit this mansion? And I did some digging, and I've got a few different options here of this film. So. The house itself used in the film is located in Grantham, England. Mm. It's owned by the University of Evansville, Indiana, and um, students use it uh, that study abroad. But the outside of the house, as well as some interiors, were filmed in Harlexton Manor in England. And um, then there's also a set. So the set is designed by Eugenio Zanetti built in the Spruce Goose hangar, <laughs> uh, which is one of the largest interior sets ever built because there was a lot of like running shots. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel very set-like. No. I thought it was very well done, but uh, I did include a scary fact about that we both noticed um, at the end of the film, around a hun- an hour and 40 minutes in, Dr. Merrill leans heavily on a marble pillar and you can see that it like, bends in because it's not actually marble, yeah. it's rubber. So that kind of answered that it wasn't a set or it wasn't a fully just a mansion, but they <laughs> did have some set pieces in there.
1: I noticed a couple of things like doors that they would push up against like bent in weird ways or like did not seem secure, like they were almost made with like plywood or something. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nothing too egregious.
0: I'm still slowly sipping my drink, being responsible. Mm-hmm. Ooh, still ah. just as good. <laughs> Many of the cast actually became fearful on set. And a lot of people were trying to make cases for not filming after hours, like not doing any night shoots, because apparently there were some very spooky vibes.
1: I can see that it was a very spooky looking set.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stephen King wrote the first draft of the script, but uh, so many reworks were put through that he ended up taking his name off it. But he did rework what he had written into Rosebed. Uh, The tagline for this movie, some houses are born bad, is a line that's featured in uh, the made for television series, Rose Red, that came out in 2002.
1: I think you said Rosebed first.
0: Oh, Rose Red, my mistake. Rosebud? (laughs) In the scene where you see Dr. Merrill and Theo running through the halls, uh, this caused Liam Neeson to nickname Catherine Zeta-Jones as the Welsh Gazelle because they had to <laughs> do this running take over and over again, and he just couldn't keep up with her. She was so much faster than him. That's awesome. I did want to point out that this actually isn't a remake of Robert Wise's classic film. The production company didn't have the rights to the remake at all, so they couldn't even replicate a single shot from the 1963 film. So this is an entirely new adaptation of Shirley Jackson's novel.
1: Huh. That seems to happen a lot with like uh, Edwardian horror novels. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. the turning of the screw has like so many adaptations. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The creaks and moans heard throughout the house were recorded and played while filming so that they could get more natural expressions of fear out of the actors.
1: Ooh, that's cool. So it all kind of felt like a universal ride, which is what I, the kind of vibe I got.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like Scooby-Doo, uh, spooky Island (laughs) at the time of its release. It was Widely rumored that Steven Spielberg either directed some scenes or participated in post-production because he didn't like the rough cut. He saw this actually wasn't totally confirmed, but there were three separate, uh, instances in the IMDb trivia that mention Steven Spielberg's name and how he wasn't happy with how it turned out. And then there is obviously no credits for him in the film. Hmm. So I think I believe this rumor, but I will say it's just a rumor.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see it. It does kind of have a bit of his vibe to it, but I don't know. We also heard that same thing from uh, Maximum Overdrive, so
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like
1: anybody who's on set can sort of just claim that they helped direct some stuff. <laughs> I mean, it also did kind of have por- poltergeist vibes here and there. So, you know, yeah. Who's to say
0: there's a scene where, uh, Nell is up. On top of like an iron staircase and overhead level, and Liam Neeson has to like climb up to save her. And he's actually afraid of heights. So that scene was very difficult for him to film. (laughs) And obviously, he has real fear in his eyes. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I have one last scary fact Car (laughs) fact. Yay. The small car that Luke tries to crash through the gates to escape Hill House near the end of the film is a 1974 AMC Gremlin.
1: Hmm. I think I'm trying to remember. Nell says, like, thanks, I get to keep the 30-year-old car or something. And she's pretty close.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. That's all my scary facts. Do you have a final thought?
1: Yes. And I only wrote one word. Wow. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's very similar to my final thought which is that this is an easy watch but i won't watch it again i don't regret watching it but it, it was what it was yeah
1: exactly well that's been the haunting a movie about the death of hundreds of children by an oligarchical tyrant but in a fun way
0: next week we'll be watching relic from 2020 And remember, always scream responsibly. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming.
1: Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear.
0: Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright.
1: And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear.
0: For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drink and scream.
1: Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show.
0: For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com.